Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the beautiful morning that Thou has given us. The sunshine that filters through the cloud that reminds us that Thou art present always. Despite the changes in our environment and the situation in our lives, we know that Thou art there. And we need to see beyond the immediate. We need to see with that spiritual vision the existence thy existence and thy work that continues to do and work in our lives and in the lives of man. And so we thank thee, Father, that thou has gathered us this morning, that we can be before thy word. We ask that thy spirit be in our midst. We ask that thou would speak to our hearts and to our minds, that we may understand who thou art and may understand thy purpose for man. And that today, all that are present, Lord, may have that message clearly etched and and made clear in their minds, Father, for this is thy will and this is our hope that thou will be able to proclaim thy truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to read from the Gospel of John, it's chapter 6, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were deceased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the man sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the man sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with, frag- with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force, 
To make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down onto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save that one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do, that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then? that we may see and believe thee. What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then say they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which he had sent me, that of all, of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? 
Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and that hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man had seen the Father, save he which is of God. He had seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. I have read through verse 48. There are so many things happening in the world today that at times, for me anyways, it is, it is difficult to focus on one particular theme or topic with respect to what should be preached. Of course, I, I believe in, in the waiting for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but because there are so many things happening in our world that, that speak to the, the truth of God's word and that are pointing to the acceleration of, of the things that are going to happen in, in mankind and in our world towards the end as we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. It's hard to not be tempted to specifically talk and preach about those things, those signs in our world, in our society, that, that show that the coming of the Lord is nearing, is nearer, as the scripture says, nearer than we think. Because as we see the changes happening about us, what we think we have time, there's time yet to make a decision, there's time yet to consider our lives, to, to weigh our lives against the expectation of God's word. And we think that we have this time ahead of us, that yes, the, the signs around us in this world point to, to a confirmation of the, of the things that are spoken in the Old Testament, the prophetic truths in the Old Testament, but yet we think that there's still time. These things take time to evolve and change. And then all of a sudden, there's something reported in the news, and the change happens overnight. And all of a sudden, that margin that we thought we had disappears. And then we realize that this schedule, this time frame that we call the, the time between now and when we believe, according to the scripture, that Jesus is to return, this is not in the control of man. It's actually in God's hands. The schedule is, is driven by God's schedule, not by ours. And there is really very little time. And so as I looked and waited for inspiration of the Spirit, this word came to me, and I would like to share this, and I hope that with God's help I can bring forth what God has in mind for us this morning. We have here a setting in the, the region of Galilee, which is by the Sea of Galilee, which is today uh, an area that is um, in, within Israel, though it is contested. It is within Israel at this present moment. And this is a place where Jesus spent much of his childhood, and when he grew up, he, he grew up and worked 
with his father, the carpenter, in this area. Um, the, the area of Galilee was also separated from the south, which was where Jerusalem was, which was the capital. And it was quite a journey to go from Galilee down to Jerusalem in those days. Nothing like today. And so there was somewhat a geographical isolation between the two regions. But nonetheless, the, there was a lot of activity in the north around the Sea of Galilee, and there were a lot of devout Jews that, that worshipped God. And in this region, God chose for Jesus to grow up under the, the tutor and mentoring of his father, a carpenter. He would grow up in this region. And in this region, he would interact and here we read that there was a period when, as the Jewish traditions were, as commanded by the law in the Old Testament, there were various feasts that were commanded. And um, the background here is that the, the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Passover, was approaching, and which would have been somewhere in around March or, or April. And at this time, Jesus, many people were beginning to throng around Jesus because Jesus had already performed some miracles. His name had spread abroad in, this, in, in the areas of not just Galilee, but in the south where he had already performed some miracles, where he had already visited Jerusalem. So his fame was beginning to peak at this time. And Jesus, um, wherever he was, there were those who would, would come to him. And primarily, primarily, the the objective of coming to Jesus was to reap some benefit. Jesus was already known to heal and that those that were sick. He had already performed multiple miracles at this time. And people, when, when that word spread that you could go to a man and he could heal you of your diseases, then there were a lot of people with a lot of needs, just like in our times today, that would take advantage of that opportunity, regardless of what they believed about Jesus himself as who he was as a man, that was, that was not relevant to them, but was relevant whether this man could actually execute a miracle and heal them of their disease. And if there was a chance that this man, whoever he was, could do this, they were going to go out of their way and they were going to find this man. There was, a, there was a desire within them to find this man because if it's true what they hear about him, then it's all worth it to go find this man, to go out of the way and find this man and find healing for their physical bodies. And we can relate to that. We can relate to that because we know, in, at least for those in our midst who have chronic illnesses, who experience chronic pain, who have gone through multiple surgeries and know what it's like to reside in a hospital and the recovery period, the pain after the recovery period. We know that in those situations, if there was a, a surgery that could put you in the right position, that could take away the pain that you're feeling or that could remove the, the circumstances that you're in physically, we would opt for that surgery. We would, we would push the doctors to bring forward the schedule and have us, you know, moved in and enrolled into the operating room because we would, we would desire that relief. We can understand that. 
And you can understand that in those days, there wasn't a hospital that you can be wheeled into in an ambulance. And so when the, when the fame spread abroad, that there was a man in the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee who was healing people, people from all over, were going to go there. They were going to find this man, and they're going to touch him if perchance they would find healing. So there was, there was a real drive. There was a real motivation. And we today, 2,000 years later, we can understand that. We can understand that. And so Jesus is thronged by the multitude. It says here in chapter 6 of John that, you know, he looks abroad and he sees all these people. It says that there were 5,000 men. And, and, you know, besides that, there would have been more. So children and, and, and women. So there were at least 5,000 men. And Jesus wants to use this as an opportunity. He already knew what was coming, but he wanted to use this as an opportunity. It was a teaching moment that that as we look into this word, we can see naturally evolves into what else he's going to teach us. So he tells his close disciples, you know, find them some food. And, And they're all, you know, discussing, well, you know, it's kind of late now. There's a lot of people here. You know, it's best that, you know, they go somewhere and, and you know, how are we going to feed these people? Well, you know, I found a, a small boy here. He's got some fishes and there's some bread here. But, you know, we have 5,000 people. When we have lunch downstairs and we have on average 80 plus people, you know, five fishes or a few loaves aren't going to do it. So, so there was this dilemma, the dilemma that the disciples faced that there was just a few loaves, a few fishes. And then there was all these people that were waiting. They had no idea what was going to happen. But soon enough, Jesus instructs them to make them all the people sit down in the grass. And Jesus gives thanks to the Lord. He blesses the food. He breaks it. And it doesn't give us much more detail, but we can, we can picture. We, we've, we've often, we have often discussed this in, in, in the related uh, miracle where we could picture that Jesus is breaking the bread and he continually to break the bread and it doesn't disappear. It doesn't windle down to the end piece. It just keeps, he just keeps breaking it. Or the fish keeps being separated and passed along in the baskets and it just goes on and on. And people eat the bread and no one pays attention to what just happened. No, you know, everyone's busy. And this is the other message here, that we're not paying attention to what's actually happening. Because people were hungry and they were being fed. And in their mind, there was a, there was a need. It was their belly was speaking to them loudly. I have a need. And Jesus says, gather up the fragments that remained and nothing be lost. And it says here, therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And then, and then it says here, then it dawned on everyone what just happened. Verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus said, because, you know, Jesus told his disciples, go gather the fragments and nothing be lost. We, you know, I prayed and blessed this food. And then the disciples probably, you know, asked others to go and help. And then they gathered, it says here, they gathered 12 baskets. So the people that were helping came to the realization that we have now 12 baskets of leftover. 
when we started with less, significantly less, and we managed to fill all these people. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And we may ask the question, why wouldn't Jesus just simply allow them to take him by force and make him king? Why wouldn't he rightfully assume that role of the king? And they were correct that this is the truth. This is the prophet that should come into the world. In fact, if we read, because later on it says, we read in, in, chapter, in verse 42, 42, when the people murmured, Jesus spoke a little bit more clear about himself, and the people murmured and said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? People then began to question the origin of this man. On one hand, he performs a, a tremendous miracle in front of them, which satisfies their immediate hunger. They, they come to an immediate conclusion in their minds that this man must be that prophet from the Old Testament, of a truth. For sure, he must be that prophet from the Old Testament. So on one hand, he must be the prophet. But then on the other hand, when he begins to tell them, well, if I am that prophet, what exactly is my message? And then they begin to question, well, where, what really is your origin? Or should we really believe? Chapter 1 of Matthew. I'm going to read just a few verses here quickly, just so that we have the context. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or in this way. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, so she was engaged to Joseph, and at the time Mary was probably around 15 years old. Now it says here that Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, meaning before they consummated their marriage, their, their vows is in wedlock. Before they came together, she was found with the child, with the child of the Holy Ghost. In other words, we, if we would read another other gospels that God through the Holy Spirit put his seed in Mary that she would give birth to his son how that happens we don't fully understand it and it's not really important that we understand it what we need to understand is that the child that was in Mary was not Joseph's because she had not come together with Joseph it was a child born of the Holy Spirit it was part of that prophecy that is, that is in the Old Testament that a child would be born. And it says here, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. And the, and the reason why he was minded to put her away privily or in private, in, in discreetly, and why he didn't want to make her a public example is because the fact that Jewish law was very strict. And the fact that a young 15-year-old girl was pregnant before she, became, before she had, was married meant that she had committed a sin out of wedlock. And the Old Testament, the law, would have commanded that she would be stoned. And so Joseph, being a just man, and all we can say is that he was compassionate, 
He didn't know because it doesn't tell, it tells us here later on as to what is actually the source of her pregnancy. But at this moment, he is a, he is a compassionate man and he's not willing that she should be killed. And so he's willing to put her away privately or in, in, in secret, he's going to somehow, you know, put her away and meaning that he was not going to continue with the marriage and, and spare her life. And it says that while he was thinking on these things, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with the child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and he didn't know her, which means that he didn't physically... Uh, connect with her in a physical, sexual relationship, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph knew who Jesus was. Mary knew who Jesus was. And they did settle in, in, in the area of Galilee and in the north. But the people didn't know. They knew the mother. They knew the father. But then they questioned, who is Jesus? So, Jesus didn't want to be made king at that moment because that's not the purpose for his coming at that time. And so he leaves the people and he goes on, in, on his own to a mountain by himself. And when the evening was come, it says here that his disciples went down into the sea, unto the coast of the, of the Sea of Galilee, and they entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum, another town in, in the north. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they were into the Sea of Galilee, and things began to become boisterous and and rough on the seas, and when they look out, they see Jesus. This is now in the dark, and they see Jesus walking on the water. Very little is said here about this event. There are other events that, are, that speak to this in Matthew 14 and in Mark 6, but, and, we, and it tells us how they reacted to seeing Jesus walking on the water. But in this account, John is not focusing on the supernatural events that took place walking on the water. All is, this is just a build-up for the disciples of what Jesus is doing. And as he comes to, the, it says here, that they were all afraid because they saw this apparition. They saw, they saw what to, appeared to them to be a ghost walking on water. But he said, it is I, be not afraid. And they willingly received him, and then they were immediately on the other side of the shore in the ship. So, several things have happened now. The disciples have experienced a miracle, two, two major miracles. They've seen Jesus bless the food and feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fish. And they've seen him walk on water. And they're on the other side. And now the scene returns to us that the people the following day, 
the people which stood on the other side of the sea where they had originally been, before the disciples took the ship and went over to Capernaum, they were on the other side of the sea and they were looking for Jesus. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into that boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping. In other words, they went into their own boats, and they went and sailed to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So, men are seeking for Jesus. This is what happened in the, first, in, in the first few years of Jesus' ministry. As Jesus began to heal, began to uh, give sight to the blind, uh, hearing to the deaf, to raise the dead, to, to heal that were chronically sick, as his fame spread abroad, people began to seek him. And that is a message that it needs to resonate very well in, and loudly in our hearts and in our minds, that this is precisely why Jesus came, that man would seek him. But who is Jesus, and why should we seek him? There, in this account, we have those that, that sought Jesus, that looked for him, but didn't look for him in the way that God wanted them to look for him. It says here that they took shipping and came to Capernaum and seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? How did you get here? And then Jesus begins to speak to you and me and to everyone else about what really motivates us, what's really motivating us when we experience these things. Maybe to help us understand the dialogue that, that follows here, we need to put ourselves and translate ourselves historically back to that time. Most of us here have heard of Jesus. Most of us have heard that he did these miracles. People if you speak to someone on the street that doesn't necessarily have a Christian upbringing, they've heard enough. They've heard enough about Christianity. They know that Jesus was some kind of teacher, some kind of prophet. He did a lot of good things. He healed a lot of people. Yes, he did some kind of miracles. He turned water into wine. That's a famous thing people know, uh, or an account that people know. They know that he walked on water. They've heard of that account. We just read it. So people have this sense of uh, familiarity with who Jesus was and some of the things he did and who he represented. But, but the question is, if you had an opportunity to actually walk with Jesus, if you were translated from our time today to there and you were part of that crowd, you were part of the 5,000 that were hungry, you may have been there as part of the 5,000, not because you had a need in particular, but because maybe your wife was sick. She had a chronic illness, and you were going to help her get there to find this man, Jesus. Or you were a relative, or you were helping some other relative, a cousin, or you knew a good friend of yours that was in, in great need, and you were, you were concerned about your friend, so you were part of the 5,000, not because you were necessarily in, in immediate personal need, but because you may have known someone. 
and you were going to, and you were a good person and you were going to help your friend get to this man Jesus that you've heard about but you're there now and you have seen this miracle you're there and the miracle has caused a group of people within the 5,000 to say, hey, this guy must be the genuine thing. He must be the thing that's being spoken about in the Old Testament. And, you know, we, we should, he should be the king. He should liberate Israel. Israel at the time, to put context, was under Roman rule. The Jews hated the Romans. They hated to be occupied by the Romans. They were under occupation by the Romans and the Jews considered their land to be their land and they didn't like the fact that they had to pay taxes to the Romans, that they had to be subjugated to the Romans. And so some people said, oh, this is, this is, this is the one, the truth. And he's gonna, he, we need to make him king. And, he, and with all this power that he's displayed, surely he can liberate us, liberate us from our bondage, liberate us from the oppression that we experience by our captors, by the Romans. Which is not why Jesus came. He came to liberate. He came to address bondage, but not that kind of bondage. So you are among the 5,000. You are going along with the crowd now that Jesus disappeared. He goes to Capernaum on the north side of the sea, and you're looking for him because... Because you didn't get a chance for your friend to get healed. And so you're going to look for him. And besides, you were there, and now you're a little bit convinced. You're a little bit convinced that maybe this man is, is who he said he is. Because, by the way, you partook of the bread and the fish, that there would have been no possible way that would have been even con conceivable that, you, that that could have happened. But you were there. But you're not 100% convinced. But you were there. You were there nonetheless, and you were swept by the crowd. You got into the ships in the southern shore by, by who knows where, maybe Magdala, Tiberias, and you took the, the, the boats, the sailboats, along with all the people, and you sailed across to Capernaum. Picture it. Lots of people taking the ships. They're going to go look for him. And they find him, and they ask him, how did you get here? And Jesus doesn't answer that question. He answers, he speaks to them about why they are seeking him. Verily, verily, or means, which means truthfully, I say unto you, ye seek me. You are looking for me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves that were filled and were filled. In other words, this is clear to us. Jesus is saying, you're not coming to look for me because the miracles that you saw triggered a thought in your mind about who I really am and who and what is my message and what does that message mean to you? That's not why you're seeking me. You're seeking me for the, very, for the same reason why you're helping your cousin along or your best friend or your spouse or your relative. You're seeking me because you heard that I can do something. And in the case of the 5,000, you're seeking me because I was able to, I was able to give you food freely. I was, it was a miracle. And you're still hungry. And, and I can meet your physical needs. That's the general, general picture here. I can meet your physical need. You're coming to me because there's someone who can meet your immediate physical needs. That's why you seek me. 
but you're not seeking me for the spiritual needs. You're not seeking me for the reason for why I came, who I am, and what I stand for. And he says to them, labor not, don't work for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed, or God had anointed the Son of Man, the Son of Man of Jesus Christ. God had anointed Jesus Christ to give life eternal to whomsoever would believe. And he's saying, you saw the miracles, but you don't believe. You saw the miracles and were fed, and you're looking for me to, to meet your physical needs. But it's your spiritual needs that I came for, specifically to give you life eternal. Then they say unto him, what shall we do then? That we might work the work of God or do the work of God. In other words, okay, you've just sort of set us kind of straight here. You've told us that, you know, our motives were not in the right place. We were not really quite aligned with your purpose for us. And so, and they still don't get it because now they're asking, well, what should we do? What holy thing should we do? Should we do some kind of pilgrimage? Should we do some kind of holy act? Is there something spiritual, holy, religious that we can do to gain God's favor? Because you've just told us that we've, our motivations was sort of in the wrong place. It was misplaced. So what can we do that's religious or holy that will place us in the right perspective with God, that will put us in the right setting and standing before God. And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God. This is, this is what God is working. He says that you would believe on him whom God has sent. This is what God is working. God is working this. And, and you know, there's, I came across this uh, in in chapter 5 of the previous chapter of, of the gospel according to John, verse 17, and it says, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. So, and if we could translate that into modern English today, it says, Jesus is telling the Jews that my Father has been working up until now. My Father has been working up until now, and I work also. I am working now also. And the question is, what is God working? What is he doing? He's working in the hearts of man. And his work is to accomplish a faith in our hearts and in our minds. That we would, upon hearing and seeing who Jesus is, we would believe on him that, in fact, Jesus is the Son of God. And that he came to give us eternal life that he came to deal with who we are. He came to deal with our predicament, and our predicament isn't because we have an empty stomach or because we have a chronic illness. That's not our predicament. Our predicament is far greater than that. It's much more uh, uh, significant and consequential. And Jesus says, don't look at your physical predicament. Look at that bigger spiritual picture that I came. And he's saying, God... My father is working right now, up until now, he's working to orchestrate events in your life so that you could come to an understanding of who Jesus is, so that you could believe on him, 
That's what God is doing right now. He is working in your heart so that you would believe in him. And Jesus is taking that work. He is continuing with that work. And Jesus says to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So, and then he says in another verse, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. What is Jesus saying here? What hunger is he referring to? What thirst is he referring to? On one hand, he's saying, you're seeking me for the wrong reasons because I filled your stomach on, on the grassy plain over there on the other side of the sea. But at the same time, he says, but I am that bread of life. I am the one that will meet your hunger and your thirst. So what hunger and thirst is he referring to? I am the bread of life. And this is the proclamation he makes. Jesus, I'm going to read a few verses more as we need to conclude. Jesus eventually goes back down to Jerusalem. He participates in one of the feasts. There are a few feasts from the Old Testament where, where it was commanded that, that they should actually pilgrim to Jerusalem for that feast. And the Feast of the Tabernacles, so the Feast of the Booths, is one of them. So in chapter 7, we read that Jesus went down to, Gal to Jerusalem and he, was, he partook of the Feast of the Booths. And on the last day, the eighth day of that feast, it says that Jesus stood up. He stood and cried. So he was teaching among the, the, among the, the Jews, whether in the temple at this moment, and he is, stands up and he makes another proclamation. Now he's in Jerusalem. This is a major feast. There could have been possibly 600 to a million people visiting Jerusalem. Can you picture this? A million people. And Jesus stands up and he makes a proclamation. He says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. This is in chapter 7, verse 37. In, in 38, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then Jesus is nearing his final mission. And this is found in chapter 12 of John. This is the last time Jesus makes a proclamation in public about himself, a major proclamation. This is, we're approaching now the Feast of the Passover. It is approximately March, April. And this is his last visit to Jerusalem before he is taken by the authorities and he is nailed on the cross. And it says, Jesus cried and said, he is not crying by tears. He is, he is if you will, yelling out. He is, he is stating very emphatically. He says, he that believeth on me, 
believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. I am the bread of life. I am a living fountain. I am the light of the world. Whosoever comes and sees me and believes me, I will give unto him everlasting life. But everlasting life and the bread of life and a water for him that is thirsty that will he will never be thirsty again it says here but he that believeth on me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water and the scripture tells us immediately after that jesus is speaking about the holy spirit that he's saying that god is going to give every person that believes on him the infilling of the spirit of god such that once we have the infilling of the holy spirit of god we become spiritual beings in the right relationship with our Father, and our spiritual needs are met. We no longer have a spiritual hunger or a spiritual thirst because we are in a right relationship with God. We become, as we should be, spiritual beings. And now the bread of life makes sense because the bread of life, which Jesus said it is, he later on says... I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, meaning him, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus, the connection here is just like we read in Matthew about who Jesus was. As the angel told Joseph, take, don't be afraid to take Mary. Don't be afraid to take Mary. What's in here is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to have a son. And his name is going to be Jesus. And he's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to save their people from their sins. Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of man. That the, the, the cause, the agent that currently separates us from God in having a right relationship of, uh, between man and God is sin. Jesus came to repair that relationship, to take away sin once and for all through the sacrifice of his body, through his flesh. He says, I am that bread that came from heaven. And he says, if you take of that bread, in other words, if you appropriate for yourself who Jesus is and his sacrifice for you, that he will give you eternal life. He will save you from your sins, and in doing so, he will give you eternal life. You will pass from judgment, from condemnation, to life. And that is the reason why Jesus came. He didn't come to fill our bellies. 
He didn't come for not just the works of charity. He came to address the real predicament of man that internally we are still spiritual beings and that spiritual being needs to be made right with their maker. And Jesus came to take away the sins of man by his own flesh that we could have life eternal and life with him and with his father. And that's why Jesus cried. On the last, the last major proclamation, it says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. You are that person that was swept away with the throng that saw the miracle on the hill. You're that person that recognizes that, yes, we have physical needs, but there's more. There is a spiritual hunger. There is a desire to reconcile the things we see in this life. The, the, the experiences we have with one another, and often I have shared this, the experience, this concept of love, where we, where we encounter someone who we know exhibits and, and, and portrays living love. And, and we know that there's, that means that there's something more to life than the physical. There's more to life than the existence, than making a living, than paying our bills, and that struggling to repeat the cycle beginning every Monday. That there's more, that when we encounter love, when we go beyond the dimension of emotion and we see that there's something more, there must be something more to this life. And this is why Jesus came. He came to open our eyes from the darkness. The miracle was made to tell us, open your eyes. There's a greater dimension in this world. It's not just the physical. And with that greater dimension, there is a consequence. There's a state. There's a spiritual state of darkness that man is in when we are alienated and separated from God because of our sins. And Jesus came to take away that sin. He came to open our eyes to who he is and for you to, to grab him and proclaim what he has done as for you as well. You are there with your cousin, seeing the loaf and the fish spread out to feed 5,000. You didn't go there because you had a need. You may not be here today because you don't see yourself as having a need. You may not have a physical ailment as some of our elderly have in our church, but you're here comfortably, but you've heard the message, and that's the point. That's what Jesus said. If you see me and believe, if you hear and if you believe, you will not abide in darkness. God will open your eyes. It's your choice. It's always been your choice. But the margin is decreasing. The time is changing. It's changing so fast. If you will hear, as the Bible says, if today, if you hear his word, the Bible says, don't harden your heart, but receive his love. Acknowledge who he is, and he will give you life. Life here, meaningful life, abundant life, but life eternal. Amen.